And so uh, our brother's going to share with us tonight. He's going to bring a quick Devo. And so uh, we just encourage all of you just to give your ears, lend your hearts. Let's welcome Daniel Gearbay. Huh? How's it going, guys? All right. Um, I'm sick right now, so I don't normally sound like this, you know. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> what I'm basically, Josh is talking about right now is pretty much what I'm going to be talking about tonight. And uh, spending time with the Lord by ourselves, spending that alone time with God. What's really amazing about this is um, the fact that God wants to spend time with us. It's like we have this living God, the creator of the universe, and he wants to spend time with us, like little me, like, like I'm just walking down the road, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, man, nobody cares about me. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to think that the one who created all of us cares about us, each and every single one of you individually. And um, we're just going to go ahead and uh, open up in prayer, and we'll get into some word and stuff, and uh, let's do it. <laughs> Father, just come before you now, Lord, and uh, in Jesus' name, King, and I pray, Lord, that, that whatever I say tonight, Lord, would be straight from you, Father. I pray that your, your, your sheep would be fed tonight, Lord. I pray that you would give us understanding, Lord God, and that you would even speak to me as well, Lord, for I know that I need this in my life. Uh, I thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord, and we just lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, if you guys want to um, open up with me to uh, Mark 135 30, uh, through 37. And most of the verses, I'm just going to read them to you guys. You guys could jot, jot them down because um, there's a lot of them. You guys just listen listen what's going on, all right? Well, with that verse, <clears throat> spending time with God is... Uh, it's it's a, it's a necessity in this Christian life that we have. It's how we build a relationship with Him. Just like how we want to get to know somebody, we spend time with Him, and um, that's how we build a relationship with that person. We want to get to know them. We talk to them. We ask them questions. We spend time with that person, and that's how we get to know them. It's the same thing with God, and He wants to spend time with us. So that makes it that much more awesome. In uh, in uh, Mark one. Verse 35, it says, uh, it's talking about, uh, I'm reading from the uh, NIV. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. See, Jesus, every chance he got, Jesus was always taking off by himself and going and praying somewhere. He wanted to spend that time with his father. You know, he... Uh, before he before he spoke to anybody, he was spending time with the king, and um, that's just one one example of of the Lord spending time with God by Himself. Okay, so what is uh, spending time with God? What does it consist of? What do we have to understand about spending time with God? Uh, the two the two essential ingredients is uh, the Word of God and prayer, and um, the Word of God. The Word of God is everything that we need to know about God. It contains God himself. It, it's, it, it'll tell us about the character of God, who God is. And it, it's, uh, it's the living Word. It, 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 it reveals things to you. When you spend time in the Word of God, you, spend, you get to know God in, in a more personal way because you get to know his character. All right? There's, like, there's so much more to go into this. Like I don't have that much time. I wish I could spend more time with you guys, but I'm trying to speed it up here. Um, Okay, now now 
as far as prayer, so we went through the Word of God, spending time in the Word of God, and then there's prayer. All right, when we pray, God gave us, Jesus gave us an example of how to pray and the model prayer. You guys know where that is, right? You guys, you guys know it. It's, uh, it is in Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. And it says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive it, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the model prayer. And basically this is talking about um, how, we, how we should pray to the Father. First we address him as Father. He's holy. He's a holy God. I'm sure you guys heard this from Josh. You know, I've, this, this is what I learned from Josh. You know what I mean? And um, we address him as, as Holy Father, and uh, we pray for his kingdom, to, for his kingdom's will to be done. And we're praying God's will in our life, uh, our prayer is going to be answered because it's his will. The more we pray God's will, the more our prayer is going to be answered. It's as simple as that. So if you're, you're praying according to his will, uh, you can't go wrong, you know? Um, now, there's a whole bunch of verses, like, I want you guys to check out real quick. Uh, but I'm just going to read them to you so you guys can jot them down. Now we have, uh, we have, uh, sorry, the thoughts, the thoughts of God for us. Like I was talking about how God wants to spend time with us. He actually wants to, he, he, he thinks about us constantly. He thinks about each and every single one of you guys in a personal, individual way. And in Psalms 45, he said, uh, the psalmist is talking about, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. I, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. That speaks for itself. His, his thoughts for us are more than can be numbered. And again, in uh, Psalms 139, 17 through 18, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, you just think about the sand. You think about the sand on the beach. That's like, that's ridiculous. You just pick up a, a palm of sand. Pick up a palm of sand, and that's like, that's thousands, millions even maybe, of pieces of sand. And the Lord thinks about you more than those sea, the sands on the seashore. That's his thoughts for you guys. And again, in uh, Jeremiah 29:11, famous verse, you guys know this one. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In Isaiah 49, 14, 16, uh, it says, but Zion, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. This is the Lord speaking. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He's talking to Jerusalem, but he's also saying, our names are inscribed on the palm of his hands. This is a personal God we have. He, he's the real deal. It's not a, it's not something, you know, we, we just pray to in vain and he doesn't hear us. Like Josh was saying, he actually hears our prayers, a living God. And uh, it's amazing that he thinks about us. I always think to myself, like, even when I'm alone and stuff, uh, like, how, how, is, how could God think about me? Like, you know what I mean? Um, there's so many people in this world. And then uh, I just remember the scripture what it talks about how, how many how how important it is to understand how much he really cares about us and his thoughts for us and um as far as uh when you're praying when you want to spend time with god you're spending time with him alone like josh was explaining earlier let's turn turn your cell phones off 
Turn the computer off, turn the TV off, whatever. Um, get, in the, get in the bathroom if you have to. If like that's the only place to get away, go to the bathroom. Um, for myself, like I like to go to Mount Rubido by myself. So don't go up there and spy on me, but I'll go up there. And uh, I'll, I'll bring my guitar, I'll bring my Bible, and just like, it's amazing. You get to sit there and spend time with the living God who wants to spend time with you. And um, it's like, there's nothing like it. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't describe it. And the more time we spend with God by ourselves, the more we, we become Christ-like. You get to know him better. You get to understand his word better. He reveals things to you. And it's just a, it's a powerful thing because you actually, um, you take the time to, 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 grow, to grow with God by yourself. And that's, that's, that's when we're going to grow the most is when we're by ourselves. We're by ourselves spending time in the word alone, asking God for understanding in his scripture to, to give us uh, to give us revelation, to speak to us, to speak to our hearts, to change us. And um, it's really important to find that solitary place like Jesus did. He got, up in the, he got up early in the morning, took off, found a solitary place, and prayed to the Father. That's what we need to do, and we have to make time. Like so many times I see it in my own life that I can find time to do everything that I want to do. Like I'm always finding time to do stuff that I want to do. And... Um, we, we have to make time, we have to find time to spend time with God alone. We, we, have to, we have to do it. I mean, if you have to put it in a calendar, if you have to sit in your daily planner, do it because uh, it's important. You know, say, you know, I'm going to spend this much time with God. Like, you shouldn't put a time limit on it, but if you have to, do what you got to do because you got to make that time for God and you got to put him first. And um, learning from Josh and other brothers, you know, it's... Is it's it's so awesome to wake up in the morning. The first thing you do is seek seek God's face. You lay your whole day out before Him. It's it's amazing. You pray the whole day out to Him. You commit the day to Him, and uh, the day is blessed. You know you have you have no worries after that. Um, but yeah, um, take a walk with God. Take a walk with Him sometime. You guys feel uh, agitated, frustrated, or just things don't feel like they're going right, or you feel blessed. You're feeling awesome. Go take a walk with the Lord. Just go walk, walk around the block, you know, in a safe area, a lit up area. You know, if you're a girl, walk around in the backyard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, nah, but um, yeah, seriously, take, take a walk with the Lord. You know, just you and the Lord say, Father, you know, I just want to take a walk with you. You know, I know you want to spend time with me, and um, I just want to spend time with you. And just talk to him like, like he's right there next to you. He hears you, and he wants to spend time with you guys. Um, and again, uh, you know. Sing, sing worship songs to them. Pray, praise the Lord, you know. Be by yourself. Get, get that every single day if you can. Fit it in there. you got to make time for him. He wants to spend time with us, and you guys will be blessed. All right? That's it. <laughs> Amen. An absolute essential word for every single Christian. And if you didn't know, that is the secret to the Christian faith. There is no other secret. It's not going to church. Nope. It's not even fellowship. Nope. It is spending time with God by yourself. You could do everything but spend time with God by yourself and find yourself dead. Spiritually. Empty. Wondering why things aren't full. The one secret that all the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles did is they walked away and spent time with God by 
themselves. You will see it time and time again. I just did a big study on Daniel this morning for some junior high kids at a Calvary Chapel Redlands at the school there. Daniel prayed three times a day. Guess what? By himself. He sought Father. And God exalted him to third most powerful man in the entire nation. And the king said, because of Daniel's God, whoever he is, saved him from the lions, all of the nation will bow down to his God. Because he was faithful. Hey, the Muslim prays five times a day. Putting us to shame. The least we can do is sneak away to spend time with Father once a day? Careful. It is the key to the Christian walk. It is the secret to be charged. You come in contact with God, you're going to be changed. If you don't, you won't. It's that simple. The great men that I look to, every single one, have a powerful prayer life. The four P's, are you ready? Prayer in private gives you power in public. That's right. Prayer in private gives you power in public. You don't plug in, you're going to be empty, bottom line. I have a couple things I want to share. A couple updates on things that are going on. First, I will open with something that is kind of funny and fun. My buddy Christian, yes, from Canada. My brother who is starting a church up in Toronto. And he is working the city there. He's 24 years old, just going from place to place, ministering to people. Check this one out. He says, word up, homies. Well, it seems that whenever I watch the Raptors, they lose, laugh out loud. Super Bowl tomorrow, go Pittsburgh, laugh out loud. I don't follow it that passionately, but be that as it may, I'll be heading over to a friend's place and check it out. He says, yesterday was nuts. I was at the local bank getting ready to pay some bills, and I was waiting in line listening to Shailen, rap artist. Now, you got to understand who Christian is. My buddy Christian is like, this guy's just set apart before God, man. He just blesses my soul with his holiness before God, how dedicated he is to not shame the name of God. Um, I've always, I don't know, he, he just does things right before the Lord. He's just a very upright man, blameless in my eyes, that's for sure. I can't find any fault in his life. Um, but this guy is just very upright, and, and all of a sudden he's discovered like real awesome Christian rap music, just real theological stuff. He's been listening to it like crazy. And Christian is just the sweetest brother, man. And uh, But he says, I was in the local bank getting ready to pay some bills, and I was waiting to, to the, in the line listening to Shyland rap artists. And I was under my breath rapping along with him, and then one guy stopped me. And he says, hey man, you're rapping the truth, aren't you? That's awesome, man. I was like, this is what Christian says, I was like, oh, you could hear me? Then I'll say some old lady piped up from behind and said, we can all hear you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he says, laugh out loud. But this guy, he owns a mechanic shop, was like, dude, spit something. So I'm here in my CIBC bank uh, waiting in, in line. And full blast rapping in the line. It was pretty tight. And so Christian threw down some rap lyrics right there in the bank line. And you got, if you listen to Shailen, you'll know that his lyrics are just like straight from the word. I mean, they're so theological and so doctrinal. But the beats are sweet. I would encourage all of you to look up his stuff. Shailen. 
Uh, if you need me to spell it out, it's S-H-A-I-L-I-N-N-E. Powerful rapper. But uh, I just love this, man. Christian, that's one thing that I've known about this guy is everywhere he goes, he is ministering the gospel no matter if it's in the bank no matter if it's in the grocery store, no matter if it's in Blockbuster, he is ready to preach the gospel at all times. We must be ready as the apostles were at all times to be preaching, not just here. This is easy. But out there, look, there's a Denny's over there. What about Denny's? Can you do it at Denny's? Denny's? Yeah, what about talking to the waiter? Really? Yeah, why not asking her if she needs some prayer? Huh? What about at Walmart? What if Father puts it on your heart? Why not? I can't do it out there. That's not in the church. Hey, that's what God's called us to do, is to get outside the club, okay? I wish I could kick every Christian in the pants outside of the church. It's like, get out and get moving in the name of Jesus, doing things for His glory and His kingdom. You've done enough in the church. We don't need any more volunteers in here. Go out there and volunteer in the name of Jesus Christ for His glory and for His kingdom. I love doing things in the name of Jesus. When I see somebody and I have opportunity to give them money, oh, I am ecstatic. I was walking out of the grocery store the other day and this girl, I know she was looking at me like, dude, this guy is just going to totally turn me down. Like he's just, because I, I don't know, people say my normal face is like a frown. You know, it's just like, I just walk around frowning all the time. But, uh, but anyways, she's walking by and actually she's standing there with a big booth and they're, they're raising money for Korea and they're barbecuing up some stuff and all this. And she looks at me and she's like, uh, uh, uh would you like to help out? And I was just like, huh? Help out with what? And she's just like, um, uh. <laughs> Um, we're doing a missions trip to Korea. And I'm like, absolutely. Pull it out, drop the cash on it, in the name of Jesus, receive it. Just like, you know, couldn't believe it. But I love it, man. I love doing it. At the mall just the other day, the same thing happened. A couple came up. They're like, look, we're not homeless. We're just really hurting right now. And um, we're trying to get somewhere. Can you help us out? I said, I will give this to you only in the name of Jesus Christ if you'll receive it. Absolutely. Okay, if you'll take it in the name of Jesus, then you can receive it. I love giving glory to the King. I love doing anything that will make Him look good and bless His heart. Our brother who is in prison is doing just that. And I have a couple of updates. Dr. Kent Hoven is in prison for tax and other things. But he is taking advantage of the opportunity, ministering everywhere that he goes. Listen, listen. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. The blog post, Help Ricky Get Mail, has been a great success. Ricky Lambert, my friend and roommate, had only gotten two letters in four years until last week. Who am I talking about? Who is he talking about? If you didn't know, here at the study, I said, hey, there's a guy, Ricky, who is in prison with Kent Hoven. And the guy's only received two letters in his whole time in prison, not from any from his family. Nope, it was from one of his buddy's little girls who made him a turkey for Thanksgiving. And he said the man was in tears when he received it because someone sent him a letter. Well, guess what? Kent Hovind sent out an email and a blog to all of his people who read his blog. He's in prison too. It's his roommate. Trying to help Ricky to get mail. And look what happens. It says, you have responded to his needs so well. Thank you. In the last week, he has received over 80 letters. 
This was the best Christmas present he could have ever gotten. Two nights ago, he got 15 letters. He laid them on his bed and cried. It was so sweet. Tonight, he got 17. Baruch Hashem. Praise God. For you never know how you could soften and bless a man. Listen to this man. He and I prayed together and studied God's word together every day. He has been saved for about three and a half years. He is on fire for the Lord. God is so good. Ricky has been a blessing to me. And now you have been a blessing to him. Thanks. Ricky has been arrested for years ago and spent time in prison for illegal use of pain medication. That makes him a felon for life for illegal use of pain medication. Four years ago, he was arrested for being in a pickup truck with a friend who had a gun under the seat. Felons can't be around guns, so the judge gave him nine years in prison. And he says the system is out of control. It's true. It's sad. But there are brothers like that in there who are standing for the truth, standing for righteousness. And um, some of the legal update... um, Hoven is is he's definitely hurt. He's sentenced to ten years, if you didn't know. And he's been there for two, and his wife just got sentenced last month for a full year. He hasn't seen his wife in over a year. I want to read you some of his knee mail, he calls it knee mail. Being on his knees. It's a conversation between him and God. Here's Kent. He says, Lord, I miss my daughter's wedding. And I miss Thanksgiving with my family. I haven't seen my wife in over a year. The prosecution is trying to seize the ministry property. The 11th Circuit denied my motion for release pending appeal. My back hurts every day from two-inch foam pads that we sleep on here. I'm tired of hearing all the loud cursing every day. Why have you put me in such a heavy burden on me? I've tried to serve you for over 40 years now. And God speaks and says to him, Let's go for a walk, son. Pedro will explain it to you. Kent says, Well, where are we, Lord? This is beautiful. God says, we're here in Central America, son. Do you see that the family walking down the jungle trail in that small river? Kent says, yes, Lord. God says, just watch them for a minute as they they come across the river and then talk to the dad. That's Pedro. He'll explain. So here's Pedro. Pedro says, okay, kids, line up by the river to get ready to cross over. Maria? Put as many rocks into the kids' backpacks as they can carry. Okay, now, Jose, give everyone a big rock to carry in their arms, too. Okay, I think we're ready. Let's go, everyone. Don't get too close together as you cross. Go slow and watch your steps. Very good, everyone. Drop all your rocks in a pile so that we can carry them back when we get back later. Ken Hovind says, Excuse me, Pedro. I watched your family cross the river. Why did you make all the children carry those heavy rocks? Pedro says, Oh, Senor, I love my children very much. We must cross the river every time we go to town. We will also cross it later when we return. I don't want any of my children to be swept away by the river. It is not too deep here, but the river runs fast. And Kent says, I know rivers can be dangerous to cross, especially for children. I saw you load them down with rocks until they could hardly walk. Why did you put so much heavy burden on each one? Pedro says, the heavier the burden they carry the more it pushes their feet to the bottom. The heavier the burden they carry, the less likely they are to be swept away by the current. This even works if they do step into really deep places. As long as they hold tight to their burden, they can carry, they can walk right out. Kent Hovind says, Why did you tell them not to get too close together? Pedro says, Each one must bear his own burden across the river. 
If they get too close, they may stop too much water. The water pressure could be too much and sweep them away together. Kent says, I see. Thanks, Pedro. Enjoy your time in town. Pedro says, Si, senor. Hasta luego. And God says, Let's go home, son. Now do you understand? And Kent says, Yes, Lord. I still don't like it. And the burden seems like way too much to carry. But you know what lies ahead, and I trust you. And God says, Good. Hold on to your load for a few more steps. I will tell you when to drop it. I've got your back. Can you imagine sitting in prison and missing your daughter's wedding? For the gospel. For he thinks standing for what is right. He thinking deep within his heart. He is standing for what is true. Doing what he was convicted in his heart about. Standing for righteousness. I'm going to share one more thing and then I'm... I was listening to a message today about a woman who was in China. There was a man searching day and night to try to find one Christian. He was a man who went over there to do missionary work. I can't even remember his name. But he was over there in China trying to find one Christian woman. He just wanted to find one Christian person, anyone. And he could not find one. He searched high and low trying to find someone who was a Christian in China. He thought it was like, there's millions of Christians here. Where are they at? I want to find one. So he goes out and he goes, walks up to a lady and he says, do you know where any Christians are at? And she says, no. He says, are you sure? She says, no response. He says, I have some perfume. She says, huh? He said, yeah, do you have any perfume? She's like, no, I haven't smelt perfume in forever because they have outlawed perfume in China. I have not smelt perfume in forever, huh? Yeah, I have some. He says, I will give it to you if you bring me to a Christian. She says, okay. I know where Christian's at. So she takes him back behind. She says, duck down low and walk at the same height level as me and come and follow me. Starts taking him down through some stairs and down into this something like a dungeon. Gets into this place and sits him down and says, okay, there is a woman that I want you to meet, and she is a Christian. But I want to tell you her story before. This woman, she lives down at the bottom of this house. Her father owned all the property here, but she has been sentenced to stay at the bottom of this building in a room by herself, and she is trapped there. And the reason why is because 30 years ago when she was young, she was brought before a judge, and the judge told her, Recant your faith and say that Jesus Christ is not Lord and we will let you go free. And even her own friends said to her, won't you just say it? Not believe it in your heart, but just say it so that he'll let you go. She looked the judge in the face and said, I will not stop believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and I will believe it until the day that I die. The judge in fury stripped her naked there in front of the group, embarrassing her, mocking her and putting her down. And said, you will be sentenced to clean up the sewage for the rest of your entire life here in the city. And so he put her in this dungeon. And she now cleans the sewage. And she had been doing it for the last 30 years. And this man says, I want to meet this woman. And all of a sudden, he hears someone walking up the stairs. And here's that woman. 
And she comes up and smiles as big as she can from ear to ear and looks him in the face and says, are you a Christian? And he says, yes. And she starts to break into tears. And she says, I want to hear you pray. I want to hear you pray. And so he says, okay, okay. And so he bows his head and he starts to pray right there. And he starts to pray this prayer. And he starts to open his eyes as he's praying. He notices he sees tears just rolling down this woman's face as, as she's hearing him pray. And blown away as he finishes his prayer, he asks her, why are you crying? She says, I haven't heard another Christian pray in 30 years. I've been by myself. So he quickly reaches into his pocket and pulls out a bunch of money and tries to give it to her. And she looks at him in disgust, offended, and says, I don't want your money. He says, I'll give you anything you want. She says, I want one thing, one thing. I want a copy of the Bible. What had just happened is the man who had come to China his wife had met some Christians and given all the Bibles away that they had, and so he didn't have any more to give her. And he was leaving the next morning there at 10 a.m., and he said, I will find you a Bible. I have to leave tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., but I will search China. I will find you a Bible. And so he runs out into the street trying to find a Bible for this woman. He's going, uh, starts crying out to God, yelling at the top of his lungs, God, deliver a Bible. Show me where to go, and I will go and find out this Bible. I will get it. High or low, it doesn't matter. He was so desperate, he walked into the police station and went in there and says, I want to see the Bibles here. I want to see the Bibles that you guys compensate to see if you guys are real communists. That's what he said. They looked him in the face, almost arrested him and kicked him out. He ran around in disgust and just bummed. He can't find a Bible. It's 12 o'clock at night. He has nowhere to look. He's walking around. He walks into some hotel, into his hotel. Praying to God, please bring me a Bible. All of a sudden, he sees a man that he knows from America. He looks him in the face and says, Ronald, what are you doing here? He's like, get away from me. I don't want anybody to know that I'm here you know, doing what I'm doing. You're going to get me caught because he's a big white guy. you know." He's like, you got to get out of here. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. Do you have any Bibles? He's like, yeah, I have. I have six. But the problem is they caught me when I was coming into China and they wrote six Bibles on the passport. So I have to bring six Bibles back when I leave or I'll go to prison. He's like, no, give me all your Bibles. Give me all six of them. He's like, okay. He takes the Bibles. He goes up to his room and starts cutting out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from one Bible. He gets another Bible and cuts out the prophets. He takes another Bible and cuts out Torah takes another Bible and cuts out the history, takes another Bible and cuts out, yes, the rest of the book of the New Testament. And he puts the Bible together and he has his wife take a shirt to use as a cover and he sews up the back of this Bible. She sews up the back of this Bible with a t-shirt as a cover. And he's got the Bible and he comes and he brings the six Bibles back to his friend and just hands them to him quickly and runs off. (laughs) And he comes the next morning. He comes the next morning. And he comes to the woman and he shows up and he hears her. He comes to her room and he hears her crying out on her bed, God, please bring me a Bible. Please bring me a Bible. I can imagine that she was probably praying day and night. And um, 
He, co- he comes in contact with her. She comes as he knocks at the door. And she comes in a great smile. He says, I found it. I got it for you. And she grabs the Bible and starts to weep and starts to weep and starts to cry. And she grabs the Bible and she drops her knees and instantly starts praising and worshiping, saying thank you to Father. And I was blown away as I listened to this. He says, why are you crying? She says, I have not been able to read the Bible for 30 years. I have not even been able to touch it. I have memorized some, but now I can know the whole thing. I can read it back and forth as many times as I want. And he goes to give her more money. And she says, just place it over there. I don't even care. I have what I need. This is all I need. And she says, go back and tell the people in America that this is all they need. And I was blown away in an instant. Blown away that a woman kept in prison, cleaning the gutters. She wants nothing more than a Bible. And I'm telling you that there are people suffering day and night for the gospel who have given up their entire lives and cleaned gutters just so that they can keep following Jesus. And we live in this. I think I will play this clip very soon, possibly at this study or at another study I teach. But you've got to hear this. It is absolutely incredible what happens in the detail with this woman. But I praise God for it. Look at how many Bibles do we have. We throw them around, let them collect dust. You always forget how important and how blessed we are, huh? Hey, Hoven's in prison. That woman is still in that dungeon, but she has her Bible. And that's all she needs. And I praise God for that. And so I just want to pray for us that our hearts would be changed and moved as we dive into the Word tonight. That we would look at it in a different way. That we would be changed. Amen? Father, as we dive into Your Word, I ask that You would speak to us in a powerful way that we would not take Your Word for granted. Oh Lord, bless that woman. Gosh, I just can't believe it, Lord. She had suffered for your faith for so long. The only thing she wanted was the Word of God. Her own copy. And I pray, God, that you would bless her a hundredfold. That you would bring her joy. You would even send angels now to comfort and bring her great rest. All the way on the other side of the earth. Hear our prayer, O great King. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a brother come and bring the word for us tonight, and I get to listen and just be fed with you guys. And so uh, I want you guys to welcome Jeremy Fletcher to come up and bless us with the word, please. Well, what can I say after after that story? I'm blown away, and I don't even... I don't even feel like I get to be up here. It should be her or someone like that standing before you giving the word. I don't have the authority to do that like she does because she understands what the word of God is all about. And I don't so much. I want to be like her. I want to be grateful 
just because I have this and I have so much more. But everything else is, is really worthless. I wanted to share a, a verse of scripture before we jumped into Isaiah 25, which is where we're going to be tonight. And it's a verse that you know well. It's Hebrews 4.12. And it says this. If you want to turn there real quick, go ahead. Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's alive. It's alive. The Word of God is living and it's active. It isn't dormant. It isn't stagnant. It isn't passive. It's active and it's living. If you get stabbed with a regular sword... It goes in and it kills you and it comes right back out. It does nothing more. It's all over. But this kind of sword, it stays in. And it says in the text that it's living. It's like, look, there goes John 3.16. It's like, it's right in you. And it gets in there and it stabs you and it's working inside of you. That's what scripture does. And that's what I pray that it does tonight for all of us. It goes to the deepest part of us, to 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 the bone marrow to the joints, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And I pray that that would be done. And I have a question for you before we dive into 25 tonight. How is the Word of God active in your life today? What is it doing in you? How has it changed you this week? Have you allowed it to pierce you, to penetrate, to transform When you are talking with someone and an issue comes up, something's happening in their life, does the scripture pop into your mind and are you able to share it? When things are going on in your life, are you able to rely on scripture? Did it just come to mind? It's like it's active and living inside in there and all of a sudden it just pops out and says, here I am. This is what you need right now. This is it. It's the word of God, the most important thing that you could ever, ever have. That's what it means by this stuff being living and active. I pray that it would change us forever, even tonight, as we dive in. Would you pray with me, Lord? I don't feel worthy to to teach your word tonight, Lord. But for whatever reason, you still choose to use us, and you've chosen for me to be here tonight. And I pray, God, that your word would be spoken, that you would speak through, that you would pour out upon this people, Lord, that you would change our hearts forever, that you would go deep in us tonight, that that word wouldn't just go off and like water off a duck's back, but, Lord, it would penetrate deep into our souls, that it would do a mighty work in us tonight. I thank you that we've gathered here. For whatever reason we're here tonight, maybe, maybe a friend is invited you maybe you just walked in off the street who knows but you're here 
And Lord, I pray that you would do mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah 25, we've learned a little bit about the background of Isaiah. I've spent a couple weeks in it. The word Isaiah, the name actually means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is actually the Hebrew name for God. Isaiah's name is very indicative of the purposes of God that Isaiah has. He is a prophet. He is to counsel and to warn the people against doing stuff that would separate them from the Lord, from their first love, and ultimately to get them killed. As you read the book of Isaiah, you see over and over again God reaching out his hand to the people to save them, but they reject his counsel over and over again. Therefore, the people are not well, and they face a bitter future unless they turn from their rebellious ways and run back to Father. So Isaiah was the son of Amos, who was the brother of King Amaziah of Judah, thus making Isaiah and Uzziah, who was the first king that he ministered under, they were cousins. And so you see, Isaiah was was in the family. He was like nobility. He was part of the group. And let me tell you, it is very difficult, I can only imagine, to be a prophet of God to your own family. We've talked about this before. I, do, I think a couple weeks ago, Josh brought it up. How difficult is it to, to minister to our family, to bless our family, and to speak the truth to our family? It's difficult. A prophet has to say things sometimes that, actually all the time, that the people don't want to hear. It is very difficult to hear. And I know it is difficult with our families. But I want to encourage you to persevere, to not give up on your families, to hold your ground because the Lord has gone before you and he has put you in your family to bless your family, to use you to do powerful things in your family. Do not give up on them. You may be the only believer in your family right now. But do not give up and keep praying for them night and day. You may have to pray a while. That's okay. Keep doing it. During the time of Isaiah's ministry, a couple of major people groups were gaining power and they were starting to overthrow and, and trying to conquer Israel. Among them was perhaps the greatest, the Assyrians, as you may recall. There was the, the Babylonians. There was the, uh, the Moabites. And of course, you remember the Assyrians. What was the capital? What was the main city of Assyria? Remember, it was Nineveh, right? That place where God told Jonah to go. And he's like, I ain't going there. Those people are a bunch of wicked, you know, I'm not even going to look at them. So finally, you guys know the story. He goes and God wants to bless them. God wants to, to save them. And all Jonah does is he's like, dude, you guys are, you guys better watch out because you're going to be destroyed and the people repent and There was great fear among the Israelite kings because of all of these other nations that were coming against them. At times, these kings resorted to creating risky and dangerous allies with another another nation who promised to help them to defeat their enemies. But Isaiah would warn them over and over again, no, don't do it because their motives are not good. So at the end of chapter 24, leading into 25, There's a great deal of destruction that has taken place. But amidst that destruction, amidst the death and destruction, we see the Lord shining through. So flip over to Isaiah 25 if you're not already there. 
I want to read the last verse of chapter 24 because this brings us right into where we are here. So cities have been destroyed. Stuff has happened. It's just a mess, just chaos. And then the last verse, chapter 24, says this. It says, Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. So what it's saying in the presence of God, not even the sun or the moon come even close to the brightness, to the majesty, and to the glory of the Lord. This verse seems to allude to the final portion of the end times. After all, after all has been resurrected, all the judgments have taken place, and all the believers are in heaven. It's, it's in Revelation chapter 21. And it says, and the city, which is heaven, has no need, no need of sun, no need of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Wow. How big is the sun? The sun is big. The sun is huge. Even though like it, you know, it looks so tiny in the sky when we look up there. If we were to compare, it's like if the earth was... If the sun was as big as a basketball, right, the earth is a mere speck, like the, the tip of a tiny needle in comparison. You know, the, the sun is really hot. In the center, it's about 10 million degrees. On the outside, it's only like 2 million degrees only, you know, not very hot at all. You see, our God is hot. Our God is very hot and his brightness defies all glory. And here in verse 1 of 25, we see the people's response to the glory of God. Check this out, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. See, Isaiah writes in first person and a very close personal nature here. He says, you are my God. It acknowledges that there is none other that could take his place. Just like when a husband says to his wife, you're mine, honey. You are better than all others. No one can even come close in comparison to you. Remember when we studied a couple weeks ago, the Song of Solomon? And Solomon said this about his girl. He said in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he's like, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. And the question is, how does our God compare to all the other things that are wanting our attention and trying to entice us to come, to come in? When you pray, do you say those words? Oh, Lord, you are my God. I know I was convicted because I don't say that all that often. I don't acknowledge that. But I urge you to begin to say that each day when you get by yourself away from all the noise, from all the distraction, as we've already talked about, and you pray to Father, I urge you to repeat this over and over again throughout the day. Hiding the truth in your heart will change you. It will give you more power to combat all the other things in the world, that which would call you and entice you to come. Hey, follow me, follow me. There are so many appeals of the world, so many voices and choices that are laid out before us like a smorgasbord, like a, like a buffet. Hey, come and check this out. Come and uh, this looks good. Oh, do this. So many things which would call for our time and attention. The world even tells us that we should worship ourselves. Get what we want, no matter what cost, to live for me and to live alone. 
But the text says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and I will praise your name, not my own. If you were at Harvest Christian Fellowship on Sunday, you heard this story, but many of you probably were not, so I'm going to say it again because it really illustrates this point well. How many of you have dogs? How many of you own dogs? Some of you know where I'm going with this. How many of you own cats? Yeah, some of you have cats. You know, I had cats growing up, and so I became to, to be a cat lover. And, you know, cats bury their poop, and they take care of all that. They clean themselves. You know, cats are great. They're pretty independent, you know. But I learned a little bit about the theology of dogs versus the theology of cats, and my heart was changed a bit. You see, when a dog owner comes home, the dog runs to the door, jumping up and down, wagging his tail. So happy to see you, right? When the cat comes home, it's sitting on the back of the sofa. It sees you come in the door, and it kind of looks back and says, oh, it's you. <laughs> so when are you going to feed me? Been waiting all day long. When a dog has to go out back to do its business, it runs to the door, it Pats its paw on the door, looks at you, looks at the door, looks back at the back at you, and says, I, I gotta get out. When a cat has to do the same thing, it goes to the door, kind of walks over there, slinks over there, looks at you, looks at the door, and wonders when you're gonna get the point that it needs to go out. Cats and dogs are very different, and thus have very different worldviews. You didn't know that. A dog looks at you and says, Wow, you feed me. You provide shelter for me. You play with me. You love and care for me. You must be God. A cat, on the other hand, looks at you and says, You feed me. You provide shelter for me. You play with me. You love and care for me. I must be God. (laughs) But it says, I will exalt you, O Lord. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Just as fish were created to swim, so are we created to praise our God. You see, this whole book, this whole chapter, 25, is actually a song. And it's broken up into three basic stanzas. Jot this down and see if this is, we'll see if this is true as we go through. Verses 1 through 5 is praise to God for deliverance from all the past enemies. You see, the people are seeing all the destruction and all that kind of stuff. You know, all the enemies are being torn down and they're praising God like, wow, we're free. We're going to see that later. Verses 6 to 8 is praise to God for provision of all present needs. And verses 9 to 12 is praise to God for the anticipation of future joys. It's interesting that this chapter of praise to God is written as a song. I'm not sure what the tune is, but I bet it's a sweet melody with amazing harmony. There's something so powerful about lifting your voice in song. They're so powerful about raising your voice in praise to God as you're singing. See, all, most all of the psalms are songs. The psalms of praise, they're, they're written as songs. Music is so expressive. Music is so descriptive. It builds intensity in what we call musical phrases through a variety of means such as, such as different chords. There's minor and diminished chords which sound kind of eerie. And, you know, then it builds up. There's dynamics which get louder and softer. And, you know, certain words and phrases of the lyrics are emphasized more during, you know, the song. 
It all builds up. And see, as the music builds intensity, so do our voices as we rise up and follow the lead of the music. And if our hearts are right before the Lord, that is, if we've turned from our sin, if we've run from it, and we truly come to a repentant heart, then as we rise up in this intensifying worship, it reaches to the climax of praising God as we reach the climax of the song. And what is the climax of our praise? It must be the cross of Jesus Christ. It must be the cross of Jesus Christ. So the question, how do you worship? Praise is the language of the kingdom of God. Once we get to heaven, what is the primary things we get to do? You know, in a vision of heaven that John records in Revelation, he says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And that lady was doing that when she got the Bible. She was probably doing that day in and day out in a sewage heap. We have everything. We don't have to work in a sewage dump. And yet it's so hard sometimes to find that time or just to forget or not do it, to give our voices up to God and to praise him. And so often the opposite of praise is complaining or murmuring, you know, which, which is the language of hell. We, we get caught up in complaining and murmuring so much. You know, this, this past Friday, I was, I was driving to Harvest for Bible study, right? And, and I got caught in this traffic on Van Buren, right? 45 minutes I sat on Van Buren because they were doing a DUI checkpoint, like right in the middle of rush hour traffic. And so, you know, I, I, got, I was, t- was kind of ticked. And so, and, and my mom was visiting in town, right? And I was, and, and I wanted to get back to pick her up to, to get over to the Bible study. And, and, oh, I just kept going and going and, you know, I was okay at first because I thought maybe it's an accident and, you know, I was praying for that. And then I saw it was the DUI thing. I was like, oh, man, no, you don't do this. this you know, I was just grumbling back and forth. So I pick up my mom and I'm still grumbling, you know, not in, not in a, a good state of mind at all. I, I get to church and I, you know, complain to a couple other people there. And then I was convicted and I had to repent to my mom and said, Mom, I'm so sorry that I had an attitude with you and that I wasn't blessing you, and that I brought you to this house of worship in this state. What do we have to complain about? We are sons and daughters of the living God. So what language do you speak? Are you full of praise for our Savior? Do you recognize daily what the Lord is working in your life? No matter how big or how small, do you see the daily blessings that he is pouring out? You might say, it's been a long time since I've been blessed. Hmm. Just the fact that you're able to be here and worship in this coffee shop tonight is a blessing. Just the fact that you can walk, that you can talk, that you have enough food is a blessing. And we take it all for granted. One of the greatest ways we can know God is by recognizing and focusing on the things he has done for us. Let me say that again. One of the greatest ways we can know God is by recognizing and focusing on the things he has done for us. And that's what praise is. The more we take time to ponder how God intervened here or provided there, the more we begin to understand his very nature. 
do you take time to ponder the cross? And the work that the Lord did for you as he suffered there. So why do we praise God? It says, continuing in verse 1, For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Wonderful things, the text says. We've already talked about that, all the wonderful things he does. Plans formed of old. And Daniel brought this scripture up. I just want to read it again. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? To prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. He's got plans for us. Before we were even created, God had plans for us. Good plans. Plans better than what anyone else or ourselves could ever come up with, ever conjure. Are the plans you make every day a reflection of God's already set plans? Do you pray about the plans? Do you listen to God and wait patiently on him to give you the plans? Step by step, he'll lead me, as the song says, and I will follow him all the days of my life. Yes, I will follow him all the days of my life. Why? For he is faithful. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he's got better plans? Do you trust that he's good? Verse 2. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. What's the city? It represents the great nations of the earth who have betrayed and battled against God, and now they are in ruin. They are gone. It says that Babylon, one of the greatest cities, will be destroyed in an hour. All the ships, everything that's there. All the riches, it's gone in an hour. It's done. It's all over. And the people are seeing this saying, praising God, like we realize this now, we get this. What we have here, that's not it. Our home is in heaven. Let me move a little quicker here. Verse, let's go to verse, uh, verse number four. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. Wow, what a powerful, powerful promise. No matter what's going on, no matter where we find ourselves, he's a stronghold, he's a shelter in the storm no matter what's happening. Do you think you could survive that long for 30 years in the sewer? She believed this scripture. Whether she knew it or not, she believed it, that, that he was a stronghold to her, that he would lift her up, that he would shelter her from the, sh- from the storm and he would be a shade from the heat, it says. It says, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. It just hits it, doesn't do anything. That's God. It's like a wall. Nothing's going to penetrate it. A strong wall. Nothing will get past it. Bam, that storm hits it. Everything, all the, all the armies of the earth will come against you. Everything, everything will try to mow you down, but that wall is there, and it will not get past. Verse 5 says, You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. 
He gives examples over and over again by heat of the shade of the cloud. And it says, so the branch of the ruthless is put down. Now, this is interesting here because that word branch, in some of you, in your translations, it says song. That is an incorrect translation that is no good. Cross it out and put branch there. And really what the word is, is zamira. The word zamira means to prune. And what he's talking about here is all of those ruthless and wicked and evil things, all the worldly stuff that is trying to prune you, is trying to, you know, like we talked about before, entice you to come and do this. It's trying to, to mold you. It's trying to teach you. And all of those things are gone now. And my challenge and my question to you is what is pruning you right now? What is teaching you? Who's pruning your garden? Are you allowing the media to do it? Other people that, that aren't believers that don't know the Lord? You know, if, we, if you have a goat and you have a garden, you're not going to let the goat go into the garden to prune it. Because guess what? The goat's going to eat all the veggies and the fruit and the flowers and everything. And it's going to be a mess. If there's weeds in the garden, you're going to get a rake or you're going to get whatever to get those weeds out. You're not going to put a goat in there. And so often we allow goats to come into our garden. We allow those goats to prune or to eat at us. I would challenge us that if there are goats that are eating, that we need to kick them out. Whatever it is, let it go. Let it go. On this, on this mountain, verse 6, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. On this mountain, the Lord will prepare this giant banquet. He'll roll out the red carpet. I mean, feet, I mean, can you imagine the buffet that God would provide? How good that will be. And I am reminded of a quote that I heard. It's like, of, of all the crumbs that we get here on earth, right, that are so good. God is so good to us. They're like little crumbs. What is the feast in heaven going to be like? Can you imagine? What is that going to be like? Incredible. I, I can't even put my, wrap my mind around it. And yet that's a promise. And you remember in, in uh, Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, where, where God says, I have prepared a table for you in the presence of what? Of your enemies. Remember that wall? They're not going to get past. They're not going to get you, right? In the end, God wins. Isn't that good news? God wins in the end. But, but we got to stick with it. We got to persevere until that time. But he wins. We've got to believe it. Oh, man, we've got to believe it. And morrow there just means, you know, really, really good food. And in verse 7 it says, And he will swallow up in this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. So this veil, what is it? He will swallow up death forever. Okay, what's the veil? We have, we have veils over us a lot, Right? We allow veils to create, you know, just to cover us, you know, that just, just stuff that's like, oh man, you just feel so, you feel bummed and you're, maybe you're ticked or what, whatever's going on that is, that is pushing you away. You, you don't want to pray. You don't want to sing. You don't want to praise. You're just, just feeling like crud. What is the veil? What is the, what is it that's holding you back? What's the baggage? 
And guess what? God is there to lift that veil off. It will be no more. If we will put our trust in him, he will lift that veil. And check it out. I brought, I brought this with me today. I got I to gotta pull this up right now. This is, this is lovey lamb, okay? And uh, she looks cute, right? She looks really cute. I think I want to sleep with her tonight. But that well, was bad. No. <laughs> I want to cuddle with her. She's so cute. But you know what? This is a representation of us. Because lambs, sheep, like to go astray. They do not like to, to stay with the shepherd. The grass may be really green over here, but they don't want to go over. They want to go over here because they think it's always greener on the other side. They think it's always better over here. In fact, the sheep will like to run over the cliff and they'll like to, you know, whatever. They'll stray from their shepherd. This is us a lot. We like to stray. We like to run. We like to get distracted. And I say to you, stay focused. Stay focused on the Lord and his good promises that he's just laying out here in this chapter, which are absolutely incredible. He will swallow up death forever. So the question is, what is it, what is it that's, that's lame? Do you have a, a lame leg or, or an arm? What is it? What have you jumped into that has caused you to break something, that has caused you to get hurt? Because that's what sheep do. They'll jump over the cliff and they'll die. And so what does the shepherd have to do to a sheep that does that? He takes it and he breaks the leg himself, carries the sheep until it's well. And then that sheep will never, ever stray from the shepherd again. Why? Because he has stayed so close to father, so close to the shepherd for so long. And he has gotten to know the shepherd. The sheep knows his master well now. And why would he want to stray now? Because he knows him so well and he knows how good he is. And I would submit that many times we don't know how good God is because we don't spend time with him. Therefore, we like to wander. We like to go astray. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces all faces, everyone who's crying, no matter what's going on, he's going to wipe it away. It's going to be gone forever. All the tears, all the pain, everything that we've ever faced, everything, it's all gone. He's going to wipe it away. And he can do that now too. Will we trust him? Will we cry out to him that he will wipe away our tears? Isn't that incredible? Do you know that the tear, when looked under a microscope, forms in the shape of a cross? Did you know that? You think that's an accident? I don't think so. God puts our tears in the bottle. In a bottle, he saves them. He wants to do away with them. And I can imagine, here's the bottle of our tears, right? And God says, check this out. These were all your tears. Bam, they're gone. See ya. No tears, no more. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Verse 9, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We, here's an important key, we have waited for him and he has saved us. So that's, here's a key, we've waited for him. We've kind of alluded to this all along here. We've got to wait on him. We've got to wait for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Another, another exhortation to praise right here starts in the beginning and it continues on 
for the hand of the Lord will rest upon this mountain. And Moab, which is another wicked city, shall be trampled down in his place. And it repeats over and over again, folks. Even looking backward, it says, we have waited for him that he might save us. And it says it again, this is the Lord, we have waited for him. It says it twice. And when any, anything is repeated in the Bible, anything, it is really, really important in the Hebrew. Very important. And it says, let me read verse 10 again, for the hand of the Lord will rest upon this mountain. It's like, whoosh, this big hand just comes, comes right down and just sits on the mountain. It's like, wouldn't you like to be under the hand of the, God, uh, hand of the Lord? It's like you see it, this big hand just coming down, whoosh, bam, right on the mountain. It's there, covering us, sheltering us. You know that shelter from the, from the heat. And Moab will be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down on a dunghill. We continue on. And he will spread out his hands. That's Moab, the people of Moab, right? The city will spread out its hands in the midst of this dunghill as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. Now, can you imagine a big dunghill and you fall into it? Now, I don't swim very well. And there's a few people here that know how badly I swim. And when I try to float in the water, I, I do this. And, you know, I fran- I'm frantic and I panic. And guess what happens? I start to sink. But finally, I learned how to be calm and to just, you know, kind of tread water and stay afloat. But what this says here is there's no way that you're going to be able to stay afloat. You're going to fall in flat on your face. And they're going to go down, right? They're going to try to swim out like this, and they're going to keep sinking and sinking and sinking. We don't want to get caught in their camp. We do not want to be found in their city. We want to be on that mountain of God with his hand over us. We want to be praising and worshiping him. And I think, I think that the one way that we can stay focused, because there's so much, like we said, there's so much that wants our attention, so much vying for for us that you know the only way that we can do that is to 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 keep praying to keep talking to father to keep praising him because if we're doing that then we won't get distracted by the other things around us and it says but the lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls will be brought down lay low and cast to the ground to the dust And in the end, the whole world will be new, a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be singing praise to God in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would be sheep that would be allowed to be broken by you so that we can be with you right by your side always. And Father, I pray that we would never leave your side, that we would understand and get to know how good you are and believe how good you are so that we would never want to wander from you. And Lord, when that temptation arises as it does, when it creeps into us, Lord, may we run from it as fast as we can. May we be held accountable, Lord. Try our hearts. Try our hearts now, Lord. May we, may we just repent of, of whatever it is, whatever it is that we've fallen into, God, whatever it is that has, that has maimed us, Lord. Heal us, I pray. Heal us, Lord, and get us back on the right track. May we stay focused. May we put the Lord 
May we put you before us all the days of our life. May we follow after you and seek after you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. What a blessing. Um, Isaiah chapter 25, um, just pounding it away over and over and over that God's going to deliver His people and pull through in a powerful way. Hey, what a great promise, huh? All the days of your life, family, as Jeremy brought it home for us, all the days of your life, your God will save you. He will pull through for you. Hey, what's the difference between us and the world? I think just one thing. Are you going to go through problems like the world? Yep. You're going to have financial problems? Uh huh. You're going to have sin issues? Yeah. Uh huh. Are things going to fall out? The bottom fall out of your life? Your family get mad at you? Your friends leave you? You wreck your car? But guess what? You have a God that will save you and pull through for you in the midst of your trials and tribulations. Not a blessing. What does the world do? I want to read uh, verse 8 again. I'll just read, just check this out. It says, He will swallow up death and victory. Did you hear that? I was asking myself this question this last week quite a bit about death. Because if you didn't know, uh, at the place that I work, at the church that I work at, one of our pastors went to be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. One of the sweetest pastors on staff, probably, I'm not just saying this because he passed away, he is the sweetest pastor. I'll say this even more so, I don't know if I know a sweeter person on the earth than this man, maybe next to John Corson, my mentor. But he knew John Corson very well. Mm -hmm. And this pastor was over the bereavement ministry. You know what he did? He went and he visited the people who have cancer and are in the hospital all the time, always comforting people. He laid down his life for the sheep. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, what if I was an atheist? And I didn't believe that there was a heaven or what if there was no God? You want to know what happens when you die? Or, or if I died, guess what? You just never get to see me again. It's just game over. That's the end of it. There is no hope. It's just erase. Isn't that a scary life to live? You run around thinking like, what happens when my parents die? Well, I will never see them ever again for the rest of my entire life. There is no afterlife if I'm an atheist. If you live in the world, there is no hope. But this is the confidence that I have. That God has victory over death. And check this out. Pastor Ralph was ministering to a man by the name of Stephen Gearhart. For almost two years there as this boy. Yeah, he was just 17, 18 years old. And cancer just jumped on him just like that. 
And over about almost a two-year process, I think it was, he went from being the normal guy walking around just like me and you, cracking jokes, the funniest guy you'll ever meet, sarcasm coming out of his ears, man, to being a vegetable laying there in the bed. And he died. And he's in heaven now. But guess who was by his bedside the whole time? His mother? But Pastor Ralph Arthur was there comforting him, spending time with him week in and week out. He was one of the biggest comforters there all the time. And guess what? They just had a reunion. He ministered to him for two years there next to his bedside, and now he's hanging with him in heaven. I mean, that's incredible. And Pastor Ralph, hey, guess what? Just a probably, what, six months ago or so, was saying hi to Christopher Laurie. And Christopher Laurie went to heaven. Pastor Ralph thought he wouldn't see him for a long time. But guess what? They're hanging out. I made it. Here I am, man. It's good to see you. There is great hope in our King. And I'm so happy. I can't wait. There was a question asked on a blog today. And I was reading, if you were to have coffee with Jesus, what would you ask him? And I said on the blog, Lord, what's on the schedule for eternity? Because I get to hang with him. Hey, this life is like a vapor, huh? It's here and then it's gone, man. It's amazing how we get so caught up and trapped in this life when it's actually only like, how much? Like this, this much? There you go. There you are. It's a cute little life, huh? It's real cute. Like how big is eternity? Like how long? Like how long? Like this long? Like, like this long? Like how long? Like, like that long? Like from that wall to that wall or something? You know, a little kid says, like, mom says, how much do you love me? And he's like, I love you this much. Like from that wall to that wall. There's your little life. There you go. We get so caught up in this life, huh? We forget where our home is. Hey, we're just passing through. And you only get one chance to bless God. That's it. This life is over. You never get another shot. And you never know. I looked at Pastor Ralph, you know, honestly in my heart, I'll be honest with you guys, Pastor Ralph wouldn't be bummed. I used to watch The Simpsons a lot. And, and, and Pastor Ralph was Flanders to me. <laughs> he was the nicest guy in the world. Just the nicest guy. And he really was that to me as well. I'll share the last words that he spoke with me. I was sitting there listening to a conversation he was having as he was rebuking someone. He looked into this guy's face who was upset because his wife had left him. And Pastor Ralph looked into his eyes and said, Is the tree of your life bearing fruit that your wife loves to come and eat from and is satisfied week after week after week? Is your tree bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, kindness, gentleness. He said, if, you're, if you were not bearing that fruit, no wonder your wife walked away. What would keep her there? She has nothing to be satisfied in, no fruit to eat of. I was cut to the heart instantly. I was like, man, what wisdom. And I never thought in a million years, you know, he died. He just went to sleep and he never woke up. No, he did. He woke up in heaven. Isn't that great? It's like, oh, I think I'm going to sleep tonight. Well, wow, there's Jesus. Hey, how's it going? And it's like, I made it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> hey, family. If I said we were going to Hawaii next week, you know where that is. Maybe next week our flight leaves at about 1048 and we'll get there at about 2 in the morning, maybe 203. What if I was to say next week we're going to heaven? We're going to show up about, uh, hey, hey. 2.30 and 2.37 in the afternoon on, on, on Thursday, okay? So get ready. We'll be there. Pack your bags. And uh, we'll be hanging out there for a while, okay? Hey, it becomes a reality, doesn't it? Hey, live like we're going to heaven. You're blessed, man. God's taking care of you. We have much to be grateful for and thankful for, family. And so let's take the words that are spoken tonight. Let's walk in victory. Hey, God has fought your battle for you. Stop trying to fight it. He won already. The victory is Father's. He will use it for His glory. Let me pray a blessing on you, please. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. His countenance be shown towards you. Father, bless them. Lord, don't let them forget about the great things that you've given. Hey, you've given us heaven for free. We get to go to heaven when we die. What a great hope. Our friends and family will not just be erased off the face of the earth, never to be thought about ever again, but we will see them. Yes, those who know Christ. And hey, maybe you're here tonight and, and God's been speaking to your heart and you don't know if you're right with God. You don't know if that when you die you're going to go to heaven. God says to you, if you confess me as Lord, Master, Savior of your life, I will give you heaven for free. If you bow the knee to God and repent and turn from your lifestyle, God will save you and give you heaven and give you life in that abundantly. If that's you tonight, you can right now in your heart just receive Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. And God, I pray over those that need to receive you and that right now they would say in their hearts, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And they would start to seek you with all of their hearts for the rest of their lives. And for Christians in here who have not been seeking you, I pray that you would open their eyes to the great things that you have for them. The enemy would not rip off and laugh at and mock their lifestyles. But God, they would stand for righteousness and exalt your name and you would receive glory. Bless your people, Father. Remind them that you've won the battle. 
Remind them that you've set them free from sin. Remind them that they're going to heaven to not get so caught up in this life that they forget about what is good, right, and perfect. And that's you. So we lift our lives into your hands. Pray that you be with us as we go. Please, Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Love you guys.